Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. What does career success look like? That can be a difficult question to answer if you haven't stepped back to understand how to actually measure your success or understand what success looks like in the environment or organization to which you currently belong. In this podcast, our guest, Indira Arrington, Managing Director and Global Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Aries Management, shares with us the three critical things she identified to be present in all the successful people she encountered. Indira describes success as a three-legged stool. The first leg is all about honing your talent. The second is refining your executive presence. And the third comes as a result of the other two legs, gaining sponsorship from senior leaders. In her role at Aries, Indira partners with the firm's DEI Council to advance Aries' strategy to attract, develop, engage, and advance diverse talent within an inclusive, welcoming environment, along with advancing equity in the broader alternative asset management industry. She also serves as an advisor to support DEI initiatives at portfolio companies across Aries' investment strategies. In this episode, Indira shares her methodology for success how to refine your executive presence, and why it's important to cultivate your personal group of advocates and advisors. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Indira. Welcome, Indira. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. I am thrilled to have you here because you and I go way back, uh, back to our days at Bank of America. But even before that, getting to know each other during um, as as members of Alpha and whatnot. So, I am excited to have you on the show because I know our audience are going to love to hear your story and all of the wonderful knowledge that you always imparted on me. So let's share with them a little bit about who are you, what has your journey been, and you know now that you've landed where you are. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to uh, to have this conversation with you. Um, I wish we were in person so we could hug and kiss and adore each other. Um, <laughs> like we usually see like we usually do when we see each other. Um, but yeah, so Indira Arrington, and I am an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. I've been here permanently since high school. Um, and me and my siblings are all first generation uh, college grads. So, you know, uh, growing up in a household that really uh, lived on the on the the culture on, you know, get your work done <laughs> on uh, make sure you're you're doing the best at school and the best means straight A's uh, is really core to uh, to my being. I'm a mom of two boys, a 10 and an eight-year-old, and I've been married to my husband, Cameron, for 13 years. So um, it's it's been amazing to uh, 
to sort of take some of the same aspects of parenting from my parents and try to instill it, instill it in our boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being an immigrant, I'm also ESL, English as a second language. So right. my primary, my first language was Spanish and English is my, uh, my now my primary language. And there's, it's been fun trying to continue to, <laughs> yeah. to refine my own communication and executive presence uh, through the years from a from a language perspective. Mm-hmm. Some of the other things that I, that you know that I I would point out when I think about life, I, I truly believe in that saying that um, uh, good is the enemy of great, yeah. right? Um, you know, I don't want things to just be good enough, which uh, which you know could be super helpful in some scenarios and could also hurt you and others. Yes. Uh, and from a career perspective, I consider myself uh, jokingly a recovering banker. I spent the first twelve years <laughs> of my career <laughs> in the in the industry. Um, specializing in structured products and equity derivatives. In my last line role, I was an equity derivative sales trader at Morgan Stanley. And then I moved into diversity and inclusion. And I've been doing uh, DEI for the past almost 12 years as well, specifically within big financial institutions. Um, And when I tell people about my, my journey, how is it that an immigrant like me is now the chief diversity officer at Aries. Um, I always say that it, it it all spans on sponsorship, sponsorship from organizations and individuals that really took an interest mm-hmm. in me and helped me see the bigger picture and that I could do more than than I thought possible and helped open doors for me and support me through those transitions. So I started my career as an Inroads intern. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Inroads was the first organization that you know, senior year in high school, you you know, you apply, you get in. You know, they make you spend every Saturday in the summer with them. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, though, because Inroads yeah. is is truly it does help people with Inroads, especially when you're first generation college, first generation corporate, and you don't know what you don't know. Organizations like that are fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, I would not be where I am. And I think what's interesting about organizations like Inroads is that they not only give you the access and the entryway into corporate, but they also support you on how to show up, Mm. right? It's everything from dress to success. You know, how do you use all these forks and knives at this table (laughs) Um, to, you know, the habits of highly effective people. So they really take you at a a very young age, you know, at, at 18 and really start to give you the foundation and mold you into what it's, what you're going to need mm-hmm. to really succeed within corporate America. Um, and of course they give you that first job, which everybody needs mm-hmm. uh, to be able to, to really start to build your resume and grow. But you know, that, that was just the first organization. The other piece within Roads is you get those mentors and you get that support network. That's really going to be there for you and help coach you within the firms when you're there. Uh, business school. Consortium. I could not have gone to business school and gone through that whole process without consortium. Yes. Another organization that sponsors great talent. Uh, you know, I'm also I'm also honorary Twigo. 
it's been amazing to be able to, again, work with such an organization, not only to bring in talent to the organizations that I was working in, but also get access to that amazing network of folks and learn from so from so many people. Mm-hmm. So when I think about my career, it's really about those organizations that really help sort of support me, get me in, and then propel me into into these into these positions uh, and the folks within them that served as sponsors and more importantly taught us about how to build your own and everybody calls it the board of directors but how to build your crew that's mm-hmm. going to really be there for you and open doors for you um, and support you like organizations like alpha where we've had the opportunity to um, to support through women of alpha yes. uh, so for me, I feel very, very blessed. And I know that I'm standing on the shoulders of so many people and organizations mm-hmm. uh, and individuals like the Eric Irish Browns of the world that without, I wouldn't be where I am. So when I think about my transition into DEI, it's really about how do I do that for others? How do I now open door for others and pull others up uh, up the ladder uh, with me along along my journey, and to be able to have a role where you're able to do that and get paid for it, and have the impact that you can have on the culture of organizations is just um, it's a blessing. I'm not saying it's not hard work, and you know you can't, you you know you don't have your challenges every other day, but um, seeing the difference that you can make in people's lives uh, is invaluable to me. And because so much has been given to me, I try to, you know, give back to others um, through everything from uh, board, board leadership. You know, I think it's really important for us to give back and, um, and share our talents in the nonprofit space as well with these types of organizations that support others. That's such a fantastic journey. And you've touched on so many things, like you said, that um, helped you become successful. And through your journey, um, you've shared with me before your framework, your kind of methodology or your theory of what success is. So share that for the audience, because that's extremely important. And I think the way that you frame it is so easy and, and to digest and so tangible that you remember these things. And it's like, okay, I know, I know how to move forward. So Enlighten me, please. (laughs) I don't know if it's enlightening, um, but I will try. Uh, Listen, I feel I've been, again, I've been very lucky to be able to be from very early on through, you know, inroads starting in corporations at, at the age of 18 to see and be around a lot of people at the most senior levels who have succeeded. And it dawned on me that when I think about what is it that they all have in common? Um, what is it that really propelled them to the to the top? Mm-hmm. That it's really three things. When you look at super successful people at the top of any organization, regardless of industry, the first one is talent, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, they're either super smart, super hardworking, and they have really become the subject matter expert of their domain, whatever that domain may be. Mm-hmm. So wh- when you think about that, what does that mean? That that means that you are giving your all to everything that you do. 
you're going above and beyond, and you're not just working hard, but you're working hard smartly. So yeah. it's smart, hard work that's making a difference for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you when you think of the concept of like a three-legged stool, that would be the first leg mm-hmm. of the stool. The second one is that elusive executive presence that everybody uh, that yeah. everybody talks about. You know, they just act, sound, and look like a leader. Mm-hmm. And I really like. Um, Silva Ann Hewlett has a great book on executive presence and really unpacks it in a very uh, digestible way yeah. into three things. It's gravitas, it's communication, and it's appearance. So for me there, it's, are you being the best version of yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you honing? And again, none of those things are innate. You can work on all of them. Are you honing your own leadership style? And becoming the best version of yourself because everybody else is taken. Yes. So how are you showing up? And I think that if you take those two stu- le- levels of the legs of the stool, mm-hmm. the talent and the executive presence, you can then earn sponsorship. Yes. Uh, so back to my journey, I think sponsorship is what's going to make a differential impact in your ability to continue to move up within organizations. Yes. And everyone needs those powerful sponsors that can propel and protect you as you're moving up within an organization. Right. Uh, so when you combine those three, to me, that those are the three things, if you were to think about it, that you need to that you need to work on. And mm-hmm. none of them you're born with, which right. means we can all get there, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes smart, hard work in order right. to do so. And, you know, that's so amazing because you do have to work on all three of those to have like this sturdy, stable stool that you can actually sit or stand on in some cases, right? Yeah. Um, now, tell me a little bit, because the talent piece is so important, like you said, in terms of... Um, you know, for us, when we work with with um, our women in the Beyond Bears Accelerator, we're always talking about, you know, really the concept of conviction, but not conviction in what you're doing, but conviction and staying ahead of the game, becoming mm-hmm. that subject matter expert and realizing that what got you here is not going to get you there. And you've got to constantly be thinking about what are the next level competencies that I have to do um, or, or gain so that I am that subject matter expert. Talk a little bit about, you know, you as, you know, you yourself in terms of how did you make sure that you stayed ahead of the game? What were some of your daily habits or rituals or what is it that you do to stay ahead and know like, okay, you're not going to get surprised out of left field or what's coming around the corner um, that's going to disrupt your work, your workspace? That, that's a great question. And, and there's such a connection between talent and being that subject matter expert and actually being able to exhibit executive presence, right? And have that confidence and be able to show up and act like the leader and be assertive in your, in your ideas and have that, that conviction. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading at the end of the day, nothing's going to be staying ahead of the curve of what's happening in your industry through, through reading and searching out um, opportunities to continue to upskill yourself. Yes. So I'll give you an example of, of me. It was crazy, that transition from the business to HR. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the hardest transition that I've made so far. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the proverbial bull in the china shop because <laughs> I, could not, <laughs> I could not understand, uh-huh. you know, coming from an environment where literally you're trade after trade after trade, it's quick, bounded hours, we're going to get this done. Decision, decision, decision. Decision, decision, decision. It's an environment where uh, things are a lot slower. Processes are a lot slower. There's this, uh, there's a bigger need to, to gain buy-in and coming into, into that role thinking, well, you know, what most people think, well, I'm diverse. I should be able to do DI. <laughs> I found myself um, starting to feel that imposter syndrome. Did I make a mistake? Do I belong here? Right. And part of those first few years was number one, again, back to the network, finding folks that would are, that were already doing that were willing to spend the time with me mm-hmm. to help me get grounded. Yes. Two, it was understanding that DEI, like everything else in life, is a function mm-hmm. and there and there's a lot to learn. And three is finding the resources to to garner that knowledge. So I devoured research papers from every organization, you know, from Harvard, Stamp, every yeah. research. I found the top DEI experts in the industry. I went way back and then try to understand what Ted Charles was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I literally had to had to think about this and really understand that it's actually a change management function mm-hmm. um, to truly become proficient and be able to uh, to make a difference in the space. Uh, and then I went to Cornell. You mm-hmm. know, Cornell has a Cornell Certified Advanced Practitioner Program for for D for diversity. Uh, it took me three years. In the last year, I was pregnant with my second. I had to write. I, I remember. <laughs> I had. I was like, why am I, I have to I have to take a test? Like, there's tests now. <laughs> I was past this. I had to write a thesis. I had to go through that whole thing. But not only did it give me sort of that. Um, that confidence to say, yes, you're, you're, you're great. You know what you're doing. You have the right instincts. You have the gut instincts that you need for this job. But it also made, it also gave me the credibility with others as well. Mm -hmm. So that that's very specific to me, but there's a version of that for every job and for every industry. The other one is look, look above you. You know, if you want to be two jobs up, what is it that the people that are in those seats have that you don't? Yes. And you have to do that gap analysis for yourself and determine, you know, I have these gaps. How am I going to fill them? And mm-hmm. you have to work with your manager to come up with the projects, the ideas, what else you can do outside of your day job mm-hmm. to, to fill those gaps. Because at the end of the day, you have to earn sponsorship and you have to earn that next level up you're no one's gonna no one's gonna give it to you and if somebody gives it to you it's gonna be that much harder to be successful in the role right that's so important that you said in terms of looking up and that gap analysis i mean that's something that we teach and we coach to in our accelerator program um, because it's easy to say identify the gap analysis but like you said then you have to find out who can tell you how to gain those competencies and also 
create or open up those opportunities for you or you creating them. And so really the how to do it, I think is so important that you kind of, you know, you scratch the surface and saying, it's not just identifying, I need to do X, but then it's just like, okay, well, how do I actually do X and who can help me gain that X? And that's where you said the sponsorships are so important, learning to, you know, manage up with your managers or getting your managers to help you do that, right? Enlisting your managers, because they're not going to do it for you. Um, And you, you know, I remember when working at Goldman, um, hearing, uh, you know, Lloyd say at one time that you have two jobs, you have your day job and you have your career that you have to manage. And if you're allowing your managers or other people to, um, you know, take hold of your career for you, then it's not going to align with your true north. So you have to take charge of that and manage your own career. So uh, share a little bit about that. Like you said, I love when you talk about managing your manager. So talk a little bit about that. Listen, if you're not managing your manager, you're failing yourself and you're failing them. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, your manager has the biggest impact on how you get developed, how you continue to advance, and more importantly, how do you feel every day when you come to work? Mm-hmm. And being able to feel every day when you come to work, like you have somebody who cares about you, has your back, mm-hmm. and your best interest means you're going to show up and do your best work. Right. And it's going to make and it's going to make it easier to show up and do your best work when you are when you have that you know back to diversity and inclusion that inclusive environment where you feel like you belong and you have the opportunity to continue to move up um so managing your manager is about having very clear goal conversations with your manager not just the immediate for this project or for this year but here's how i'm thinking about my career for the next three years here is sort of where I want to be. Here's the, the type of roles. And what, and you'll be surprised when you have those type of conversations with your manager, they may actually bring up other avenues, other roles, other mm-hmm. uh, career opportunities that you didn't even think were a possibility or that you, you, you didn't even know right. could be something that you would have an interest in. All of a sudden, it, it, it does pique your interest. Um, you don't ever want to not get the promotion or not get that next job. And when you go to your manager and you say, why didn't you think of me for them to be like, I didn't know you wanted to do that. I thought you exactly were like, what are you talking about? You that, that should never happen. And if it happens, it's your fault, mm-hmm. right? Because to like what Lloyd said, you are not managing your career and you're not managing your manager. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to manage your manager if you're not open to very constructive and uh, direct feedback. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, I'm a crier. I like people. I want to be liked. I want to be loved. Um, <laughs> I give my all. And when it's not enough, it hurts my feelings. Uh, so I know that I have to be extra with my managers to say, how am I doing? Check in a lot. When they give me constructive feedback, be you know, let them know that yes, I'm sad, but I want more, uh, and have that open line of communication. Because when you don't, what ends up happening is it's when you think about compounding interest and, and how good compounding interest could be for your money. Yes, lack of lack of actionable in the moment feedback has the has the opposite effect of yes. compounding interest to the negative. 
because every time your manager or someone on your team doesn't feel comfortable coaching you in the moment and they wait till you ask three months later or at the six month, you know, review, mm -hmm. you've wasted six months where you could have been course correcting and developing that skill set and learning how to style flex if it was a style issue. Mm -hmm improving your communications if it was a delivery issue you you literally waste time which means that you're that much further now from being able to get to that next level i'm so glad that you pointed that out because you know it's that ongoing feedback that helps you course correct every day and even if you're just one or two degrees off that's important because if you wait six months that one or two degrees means that you went off way off to the trajectory where you could have just course corrected one or two degrees and stayed on like on target to your north star and that's extremely important and i love what you said in terms of you have to make it easy for not just your managers, but sponsors and everybody to give you feedback. And like you, I'm a crier, you know, because there are times I'd come to you and say, oh my God, and this and that. And you would slap me around saying, hey, but at least you know now what you need to fix, right? Um, but you learn to develop a relationship with your managers and your leaders to say like, listen, I may tear up, but just keep on giving it to me. Like even in the moment, in that conversation, even if you see my face, you know, go flat like I've seen a ghost and you see tears welling up, I don't want you to stop. And so then you give them permission and then they know they're like, okay, they'll roll up their sleeves and say, okay, here we go. Um, but then you'll, you start developing that thicker skin where you're like, okay, I've been through this before, I'm getting the feedback, I'm correcting and I'm letting them know. And then you're getting the positive reinforcement. So then you're, you're realizing like, okay, keep giving this to me because I'm getting better and better. Um, I love that because, and I hope our listeners hear this because we're, we all, don't like feedback but you know you know nikki is uh, nikki my partner is always telling me um feedback is a gift and you've got to accept it like it's christmas morning and just like thank you so much because you actually care about me and you're giving me a gift if they didn't care they wouldn't give you the feedback um and they would let you kind of like crash and burn but it's really people who are invested in you that give you the feedback i love that so much and you have to get people invested in you, right? The only way that your manager is going to give you the access to, you know, their manager, their manager's manager, put you in front of folks to give you exposure is if they're truly bought in and they feel that you are giving your all mm -hmm. and, um, and that you have their back. Yes. Right. That you, you know, your number one job, and I, I always say this is to make your manager look good. Mm, yes. Every day. I just, how do I make my manager look amazing um, through my work? Because once they own what you actually do and what you deliver, then it's a true partnership. Um, and, and then you get that buy-in where they are now bought into trying to make you successful as well. And once, and once they have that ownership, it changes everything. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. 
the Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, you we've talked about how important, you know, managing your manager, but then also gaining sponsorship and those mentors. And you and I both know, like, right, there's a fine line between mentors and sponsors. But the other question I get a lot from women, um, and and one of these, it's also one of the things that I feel like holds them back is they don't leverage their community or their network the way they should. They don't really develop those sponsorship type of relationships. Share a little bit about that. What's your theory on sponsorships and and how do you earn sponsorship? It's not just like tapping someone saying, hey, be my sponsor. Um, What is that process? How how did you um, gain your sponsorships? So it all starts with talent and delivering, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And like I said, I, I don't think talent is innate. I think we all start out at different places, mm-hmm. but we can all, through that smart, hard work, mm-hmm. uh, get there. It's going above and beyond with every project, and it's doing more than just your day job. Mm-hmm. Right? It's really looking across and seeing, you know, what what else is happening across our team that needs to get done, and there's no one to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's taking on that additional initiative and really being thoughtful about how can we bring innovation uh, to our team that are going to lead to better results. Mm-hmm. So most people, when they think about their job, it's like they're fixed responsibilities and they want to, you know, excel at the three things that they're responsible for right. and never look sideways in either direction or across to see, hmm, how could what I'm doing be connected to this, better connected to that, and make a broader impact than just delivering this this piece of work? Uh, there's always there's always work that needs to get done. There's never enough people to do it. Are you raising your hand? Mm, that's perfect. And, and are you putting you yourself in positions where people can actually see you do it? Because our issue issue is, is that we've been taught to put your head down, work really hard. And, you know, we expect somebody to notice us and, you know, good things will come. And when they don't, we sit around crying. Like I did everything I was supposed to do, (laughs) except that nobody knows you did it. So let's be clear. You also have to be able to showcase the value that you're bringing to the organization showcase the impact of your work mm-hmm. uh, because nobody's thinking about you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's an art of self-promotion, right? Because you're right. Culturally, you know, as Latinas, I, I remember, you know, when, you know, I moved to the big city and my family was so proud of me and they're like, Mija, just keep your head down and work really hard and you'll go places. And I learned really quickly that in the, you know, in, in the halls of a corporate corporate world, no, you've got to pick your head up and you've got to learn to self-promote and gain that visibility. Um, and it's hard to do. It's it's hard to do. It's hard and it's harder for women and, and people of color. And yeah. let's just stick to women because when the men do it, it's embraced. It's like, yeah, you know, he's a go-getter. You're when we do it, it's like, there she goes showing off. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I saw, mm, saw about her. Here she goes parading around that this got done, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it's an art. I, I like that you called it the art of self-promotion um, because it truly is an art. And the way that you do it is going to be different depending on the culture of your organization. Mm-hmm. What I loved about the business was that there was a stack rank. You knew what your gross credits were every day. And were you number one, two, three, four, five, or six? There was, you know, it, much easier to point to. Yeah. You know, Here are my results. Yes. yes, that's me. I dropped that mic. That was me. Um, <laughs> is in, in, in other industries, right? In, in other functions, in other jobs. Uh, which is why it's so important to ensure that you understand how your role impacts the broader strategy. Mm -hmm. Because once you know how your role impacts the broader strategy and you start to expand that impact, Mm -hmm. then it's much easier to say, hey, our overall team goal was X. Here's how I contributed to it. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong or more amazing than reporting out your results. If you set a cadence, then it forces you to have to do it. Mm -hmm. And nobody's surprised when you come with your PowerPoint, here's what we accomplished this quarter. And it becomes a much natural way of doing so. So I think the the part one is make sure you set a cadence so Mm -hmm. that it makes it easier and it forces you mm-hmm. to showcase what's happening within your team and, and in your job. And then uh, figure out ways when you're asking for feedback in the moment, hey, boss, so, you know, I accomplished X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. Is there anything else that I could have done better? What could I have done differently? Yes. But when you put it in the context of asking for feedback, they have to actually say, oh, so you did do that. Oh, let me think about that. Oh, you actually did do a great job or here's what I could have done better. And there you've planted the seed uh, Mm. that the work got done and put them in a space to actually evaluate Mm -hmm. and recognize it, uh, which most people don't do. Right. No, they don't take that opportunity. And I love that example that you used because that's how you can, you are self-promoting in that sense where you're like, hey, manager, I, you know, we completed this project and, you know, what is your feedback? And that, like you said, gets them to stop and think of like, yes, here's an accomplishment you had and here's how you can make it better. And then you're, it, that's just going to help you do the next project better. And they're just going to start seeing that compounding, um, you know, just you getting better and better. It's that compounding effect, like you said, of it being positive because it's a continuous conversation. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, though, that, you know, I think is super important, and you and I did it for ourselves, was that it's hard for individually to self-promote for yourself. But when you have strong relationships and friendships um, like you and I did in organizations. I mean, you know, it would be like playing each other up and me being your cheerleader and you're being mine. I think that's also really important that women don't leverage a lot um, so that behind closed doors, when you may not be in that room, that you know you have cheerleaders there who are going to talk you up or in some cases, you know, um, defend you or saying, hey, you know, Monica worked on that project or Indira worked on that project too, or something of the sort where people won't forget. So, so I, so let, let's, let's, Look at the playing field. 
Yes. Absolutely need sponsors, right? Yes. We talked a lot about sponsors. You absolutely need mentorship. And, you know, you said earlier, there's a fine line between the two. I think there's a, a there's a big street between the two. Yes. Right? You can ask for mentorship. You can find mentors. The relationship should be a little more personal and open and about your skill set, how you could show up better, your executive presence, your communication. Mm -hmm. You have that. Sponsors are opening doors and giving you jobs and protecting you, right? So there's that. Uh But there's this gap in the middle of advocates where an advocate might be a peer, an advocate might might be a peer in another group. An advocate might be, you know, uh, someone above your above above you within the group, but not your, you know, not the head of the group. Yes. Um, and you need advocates everywhere, and that's a group that very few people spend the time to cultivate. Yes. It's not just enough that your manager knows what you're doing, because your manager is one person. It's building your cheerleading squad, your advocates across the organization that are going to make a difference, which means back to managing your career, that it's a job. You got to take time to build those advocates. You and I were advocates for each other. Yes. uh, At Bank of America. I knew what you were doing and continue to be. You knew what I was doing. I knew what you were doing. Um, So those advocates may not be the people who can open that next job for you, but they can definitely, when somebody says your name, have something great to say and advocate for you. Right. Um, and if you don't have, if you don't have advocates, first of all, it's not that much fun to be at work. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you have, you have very few people to celebrate with. Mm-hmm. And when, you, and when you need that helping hand or that touch base or, or that sounding board, you, you, you don't have that. Right. Uh, so we really have to focus on creating a broader network. And what the, you know, because you know I'm big on research, and what the research has found is that uh, women's networks are smaller and they're primarily women. Mm-hmm. Men's networks are bigger and they're broader and they're not primarily men. Right. The majority are but then they sprinkle in everything else. Yes. So what does that mean? We know that sponsorship is a power relationship. Mm-hmm. And who, who in most corporate organizations are the people in power? Men. Right. Yes. So here we are as women holding ourselves back because we're creating these smaller insular networks and not spreading the love and letting others experience us Yes. and learn about us in order to be able to advocate for us. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it, that's so important because it, it's actually so aligned to what we really try to help the women who go through the Beyond Barriers program. When we kind of talk about community, we we tell them like it's this, if you, if you imagine kind of like this a circle that looks like a target. You have circles within circles. And like you said, women have a small insular circle 
But there's other layers of the circle that you need to make sure you develop people so that when you have an opportunity or there is something that you were trying to solve for, that you can look in those outer circles to see who can help me and pull those people into your inner circle. And it flows back and forth through your careers, right? Um, and so women have this tendency to you know, feel like, for lack of a better term, they're like, it's this icky feeling to ask for help or to seek out the relationship because you need help. But it's what men do. It's, you know, and it's, it's, you can't think of it of just taking it's, it is this idea of reciprocity. What can I do to help this person? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and how can they help me? And so you're not like, just, you know, you're not just like, who's a giver, who's a taker. It's like, no, you go to this relationship, you keep those nurturing those relationships to leverage them at some point. Um, And I always ask people like, you know, when I go ask you a favor, you never like you immediately are like, yes, I totally want to help you. You're bought into it. And when people ask me, I'm, you know, in some cases, you're flattered that they're asking you to help. But we forget, like, we don't want to ask other people. And so now I have to tell myself, you know what, if I don't go ask Indira for help with this, I'm robbing her of the opportunity to contribute and to help me out. Um, So I have to look at it that way now to kind of, you know, get over this idea of like, asking people for help. What are your thoughts? That men have no shame when they need <laughs> It's true. <laughs> and we got to learn when yeah. they need something, they're going to figure out who can help them. Mm-hmm. How they're going to get that, that ticket, how they're going to get this reservation, how they're going to get this promotion, you know, how they're going to get introduced to this person because that might be their ticket, their sponsorship opportunity. Mm-hmm. How do I go to this golf outing? Cause I know these clients like, and we need to, and we need to look and learn, Yeah, look and learn from them. Um, but, but here's, what's interesting. What's interesting is one of, you know, one of my team mottos is uh, always be in the service of others. Yes. So e- even, even with, you know, my number one job is to make my manager look good, always be in the service of others. How can you help other people? Mm-hmm. While you're out there trying to help other people and being in the service of others, you're creating advocates. You're building those relationships that make it a little less icky when you need some support, when you have a question, when you need help. And I think we, um, we put ourselves in a position where we think we have to make it on our own or it's not success. Yes. You know, the proverbial, I put myself up on my own bootstraps. That never happens. Right. It doesn't last very long if it does. (laughs) That never never happens. No one has ever made it by themselves. Um, So what does that mean? How many people are we willing to help along our journey? And how many people are we willing to bring into, into our sphere? And by always approaching things on how can I be in the service of others, it's the universe. All of a sudden, you know, everything comes back twofold yeah. for you. Uh, and oh, by the way, while you're showcasing your ability to help others and sponsor others, you're showcasing your own leadership skills. Mm. 
Well, that was the perfect, perfect close and words of advice for our audience. Indira, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, sharing your pearls of wisdom with everyone and um, really love the three-legged stool framework. And I know that'll be one that'll stick in my mind and stick in other listeners' minds as well. Um, I know that our listeners are going to want to know more, get to know you more. So what's the best way for them to follow you on LinkedIn? Um, I'm sure that, you know, the three-legged stool thing is something that's going to intrigue them and want to hear more from you. LinkedIn is great. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.